0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I'm going to do you a favor by telling you this story does not end well. Nobody's getting out alive. I'm not trying to spoil the ending. I assure you, there are plenty of regrettable surprises to unwrap before we get there. But I don't want anyone making themselves sick just to find out what happens. There are no plot twists, no miracles, no fairy godmothers bibbity boppity booping our characters to a happy ending. Two men are going to die deep underground in horrific circumstances. The end. For those strong or sick enough to handle them, I'll spill the details. But it's up to you to decide if you can hack it. Listen, if the room starts spinning or the co-worker at the desk next to you says, hey, you're not looking so good. Just remember, there's no suspense surrounding the outcome here. There's no mystery. It's okay to finish your day without ever hearing the gory details I'm about to share. If you're worried somebody's going to corner you at the coffee station and ask, hey, did you hear what happened to those spelunkers in eastern Iowa? Here's what you can say. Ugh, I know, what a terrible way to go. Problem solved. Problem solved. Or, if you want to sound super impressive, you can say, You'd call those guys spelunkers? I'd call them idiots. Can't say I'm surprised they met the end they did. This second option will intimidate your coworkers, who will be too astounded by your superior knowledge of best caving practices to press any further and expose their own ignorance on the subject. And if you're upset to hear me speaking ill of the dead, I don't know what else to call them besides idiots. What else can you call a pair of inexperienced men who attempt to explore unmarked caverns without taking precautions? Brave? Bravery is only respectable when it's necessary. Risk-takers are only sexy when they survive. If you die taking a stupid risk, you're just, yep, an idiot. I just don't want other folks going out and making the same mistakes Kirk and Emmett did. Nobody, and yes, that does include the subjects of our story, deserves to go out the way they did what way, you ask? Well, I suppose it's time to tell you. Kirk and Emmett met when they were assigned as random roommates in their freshman year at Iowa State University. They didn't become best buds right away, but over the first semester, they discovered they each had interests in outdoorsy activities. Kirk was an avid hunter and hiker from Boone, and Emmett, a Cambridge native, loved kayaking along Iowa's numerous rivers. When they parted ways for their first holiday break, they agreed if they were still friends after walking across the stage to receive their diplomas, they would take a trip together to celebrate. They had grand visions of hiking the Appalachian Trail, or perhaps the Pacific Coast Trail. This was, of course, before they realized how college would suck their youthful vigor out and replace it with a sinister dread, otherwise known as student debt. After graduation, the beaten-down, exhausted graduates kept their word— Kirk had lined up a nice starting position at an architecture firm in Ames, and Emmett had landed an audition with Bloody Crops, a semi-local deathcore band who had just lost their drummer to a fentanyl overdose. Not his, but his cousin's. The drummer himself was clean as a whistle, but he OD'd when he tried giving his unresponsive cousin mouth-to-mouth and swallowed some of the extra powder in his mustache. Emmett had decided his degree in business management systems would only lead him down a path of self-hatred and regret. He would use the degree if he had to, but he thought he might try his luck in the arts first, starting with bloody crops. So before Kirk's first day, and Emmett's audition, the pair decided to drive out east for a weekend of wilderness exploration. Eastern Iowa is no Appalachia. Unlike the majority of the state, it does have some interesting topography, though. Towards Illinois, things get a little craggy. There's a lot of limestone, which is soft and easily eroded. The rivers and rain have carved out a handful of caves. Most Iowans know about the Makokata Caves, and many also know about Cyril's Cave, which is also located along the Makokata River. What Kirk and Emmett wanted to know was if there were any other, less touristy caves in the area. They wanted to find somewhere the floor hadn't been rubbed smooth by New Balance sneakers. They went past Makokata Caves State Park and turned down a dirt road that led up a forested hill. When they were far enough into the trees to hide Emmett's car, he shut it off and got out. They were pretty sure they were trespassing, so they didn't want the car to be visible from the road. They each wore matching camelback water bladders on their backs, the kind with the straw that wraps around your head so you can drink, and had their trusty phones in their pockets. They had brought a collection of cliff bars and jerky, but they left it in the car. They were not planning on staying on the hill more than a few hours, That might sound like some kind of ominous foreshadowing, but food would not have saved those boys. Not where they were going. They hiked up the rocky hillside, taking in the peaceful atmosphere. They couldn't hear any passing cars, no planes or helicopters flying overhead, no whining kids or screaming babies to soil the ambience. A couple of squirrels watched them from a tree branch, like two old ladies sitting out on their front porch. What are these two up to, Cheryl? Nothing good, Gretchen. Nothing good. They both started to wonder if they had made the right call when they reached the peak of the stony hill and still found no sign of any caves, large or small. Summiting the hill took almost two hours, which meant it would take at least that long to get back. Some people might think going downhill is quicker and easier, but the only thing that gets easier is breaking your ankle. Gravity is not your friend when it's buffered by uneven limestone. Neither Kirk nor Emmett felt like giving up yet. They decided to split apart while they descended the other side of the hill in order to cover more ground. They would stay within earshot and only spend 30 minutes going down. When the 30 minutes were up, they would turn around, return to the top, and start the trek back to Emmett's car. The clear blue sky had started turning orange ahead of them and gray behind them when they began the descent. It would no doubt be dark by the time they returned to the car, but they calculated they would have just enough light to climb down the hill. About twenty minutes into the agreed-upon thirty, Emmett was starting to think about the beef jerky stashed in his glove box. It was teriyaki flavor, his second favorite. His stomach growled almost loud enough to block out Kirk's voice shouting to him from across the hill. You find something? Emmett shouted back. Come see, Kirk called back. Emmett followed his friend's voice until he could see Kirk stooped over something on the ground. Kirk looked up and waved him over. Emmett expected Kirk's discovery to be a snake, or maybe a snake's nest, perhaps something gnarly like a half-eaten corpse dropped by a hawk or an eagle. But what Kirk had found was far more interesting. He had discovered a narrow crevice in the limestone. To Emmett, it looked like the crack went straight down, more like a well than a cave. But Kirk showed him that, when he shone the light on his phone down into the crevice, the light reflected off an angled, smooth floor. The crack went straight down, yes, but there appeared to be a small cavern running into the hill beneath them. Do you? Emmett started to ask, but Kirk suddenly jumped and shouted. The unexpected movement and sound startled Emmett badly enough to knock him onto his rear. He almost smushed his camel back against a rock but caught himself first. Still, he was pretty sure he had bruised his tailbone. Somewhat angrily, he demanded, What? What the hell was that about? Kirk's face looked like a Halloween mask with two golf balls stuffed into the eye holes. He shivered, then shook his head and offered Emmett an embarrassed, closed-lipped smile. Sorry, man, I just… there was a rat right over there. He pointed past Emmett, who instinctively looked over his shoulder. It's gone now. Never seen a rat before? Emmett asked, still irritated. No, actually. Not one like that, anyway. That one was as big as a rabbit, I swear. Sorry, what were you saying? Emmett picked himself up and tenderly brushed the seat of his jeans clean, only wincing once when his palm nudged his aching tailbone. He said, I was going to ask if you were sure you wanted to go down in there. Now I'm even more skeptical. Oh, yeah, man, that was like the whole point in coming out here, wasn't it? Emmett pushed past him and sat with his legs dangling into the cavern. He looked back over his shoulder and smirked. He looked away, shaking his head and clucking his tongue. He said, Four years, man. Four years we lived together and I had no idea you were so scared of rats. Do you see where this is going yet? I'm just going to pause here for a second to let everything sink in. Blend it all together, will you? I've already told you these guys are going to die. They're going down into a cave now. And one of them is deathly terrified of rats. This isn't foreshadowing, this is forewarning. If you're too squeamish, or if your nightmares are too vivid, do not proceed any further. The rest of you, follow me. Let's rejoin our idiots as they enter the unmarked cave." Oof, it's colder already, Kirk remarked as he dropped down beside Emmett. His eyes shot upward, He felt an oppressive certainty that the lips of the cave were about to snap shut above him, and the rock on which they stood would curl back like a tongue and swallow them into the dark throat of the cave. Of course, the crevice above remained open, but the darkness ahead of them was, to hopelessly understate it, intimidating. "'We didn't bring very good lights,' Emmett said, as if the whole purpose of the trip hadn't been to find a cave. "'I only have my phone. Did you bring something else?' Kirk asked. "'No, that's what I mean,' said Emmett. "'Our phones are all we have.' He turned his phone's flashlight on and shone it into the channel ahead. "'Well, from here it doesn't look too bad. We can always backtrack if things get too tight or if it drops off or something. "'You want to go first?' Emmett asked as he stared into the triangular passageway. "'Hell no, are you serious?' Kirk replied. Emmett shrugged, said. "'Suit yourself,' and slid sideways into the cave." It was better that Emmett went first. Of the two, he took up more space. His 44-36 jeans had an inch of clearance in his front and back, which meant Kirk's 30-32s had ample room. As long as Emmett fit, Kirk would be just fine. That's what he told himself as they shuffled deeper into the hill. Ironically, even though the narrow passage gave him more grace than Emmett, Kirk was by far the more claustrophobic. Already he was feeling tested. When they had agreed to look for a cave, he had been picturing something more like Makokoda, just without other people. Big, open mouths illuminated in their full depth by the sunlight alone. No special equipment needed, no lights, and certainly no bravery. This strange, narrow crack in the earth he had found was pushing him to the cliff's edge of his fear. It's widening out up here, Emen announced. He bobbed for the nipple on his camelback straw, but missed. He couldn't raise his arms up to put it into his mouth yet. "'How much?' asked Kirk. "'A good amount. You doing all right?' Emmett noticed Kirk sounded a little shaky. He hoped his friend wasn't going to turn around and ditch him down there all alone. "'I'll be good when I can move freely, I think. How far ahead?' "'Looks like just a few more yards.' Within a minute, they were standing in a cavern wide enough for each of them to move freely. The ceiling brushed Emmett's hair." but having lateral space available was comfort enough. Kirk's enthusiasm returned as he took pictures and walked about the space. We should tell somebody about this when we get back, he said. This would actually be a pretty cool place for people to visit. Emmett stepped in front of him, blocking his phone from taking another picture. He put both of his hands on Kirk's shoulders and gave him a stern, botherly look. He said, Don't freak out and don't look now, but there's a small rat next to the wall behind me. Kirk looked tepidly past Emmett, but Emmett shifted to block him. Look, man, I really want to keep going and I don't want you freaking out, so don't look at it, okay? I'll tell you when it leaves. Where did it come from? Kirk asked. I don't know, it probably lives down here. But like, did it come from up ahead? Are we going to find more if we keep going? How would I know? Kirk heard the frustration in Emmett's voice and felt sorry. Sorry for making his friend put up with his issues. He felt sorry for not thinking through the various ways in which cave exploration could trigger some of his phobias, and he felt sorry to himself for putting himself in this situation. This trip was supposed to be a celebratory adventure, not a pity party for Quirky Kirk, a high school nickname he earned for being unable to shower in the locker room stalls because, one, getting naked around other people scared him, and, two, the stalls felt like they were closing in around him. He decided not to tell Emmett that he really wanted to turn back. He decided that if Emmett was okay, he could be too. He wouldn't worry about the tight spaces or the rats or the fact that they were probably standing beneath 100 feet and God knows how many metric tons of limestone and heading deeper. Oh, oh, I see, Emmett said, breaking Kirk out of the prison of his own thoughts. There's a small crack over there. That's where it came from. He moved aside so Kirk could see it. There wasn't a rat there anymore, but Kirk did see the small tunnel Emmett was talking about. It was only about a foot tall, and half as wide. Kirk said, Well, let's get moving before he comes back. I'm feeling good now, but if he comes shooting out of that thing, I'll be finished. Roger. Emmett pointed his phone to where their channel continued on the other side of the cavern. Looks like it stays pretty wide. Keep following me and you'll be fine. The channel continued to widen before it started closing in again about a hundred feet deep. Emmett didn't say anything that might upset Kirk as his shoulders, folded back around his water bladder, started rubbing against the cool, slick limestone. As long as he could fit, Kirk could fit. And as long as he kept moving, their adventure would continue. It wasn't until the ceiling started to shrink that Emmett slowed down. How's it looking? Kirk asked behind him. Um... It's starting to tighten up a little bit, but I can still move. You okay? I've still got room. Good. They pressed on. The sides expanded slightly, even as the ceiling angled downward. The extra horizontal room allowed Emmett to hunch over, but soon even Kirk was bending his neck to fit. He didn't say anything until Emmett was forced down onto his hands and knees by the low ceiling. I don't need to remind you that nobody's going to come looking for us out here, do I? Kirk asked sarcastically. Nope, definitely not, Emmett laughed. But do I need to remind you that as long as I can fit, you do? A minute filled with nothing but grunting and sliding passed them by. Now they were both crawling along the channel as it telescoped smaller and smaller. What if it caves in? Kirk asked in the tone of a somewhat disinterested observer. He didn't want Emmett to know this fear was really eating at him from the inside out dude, this thing must have taken centuries to form. What are the odds that it would happen to collapse on the same day we show up? Fair enough, Kirk replied, but he was not placated. They were now in a section of the tunnel so narrow it forced Kirk to keep his arms out ahead of himself. He wondered how Emmett was managing to slide himself along. How far was his friend going to take them? How long before he decided it wasn't worth continuing? They had no idea if there was more to this cave or if it was just going to be a dead end forcing them to worm their way out backwards. Thinking along these lines, Kirk finally asked the sensible question, What if we can't turn around? Emmett paused. Kirk could hear him breathing hard. The sound was tubular and round, as if Emmett were breathing into a deep, empty cup. Emmett's feet slid backward a couple of inches, followed by his butt. You know what? He said. You're right. It looks like this thing only gets narrower. I wish we knew if there was going to be somewhere to turn around up ahead. Well, we don't, so think we should call it? Emmett was quiet again, and Kirk knew he was fighting the urge to push on. That was Emmett for you. Never one to give up, never one to back down from a challenge. It was this personality trait which empowered him to dream of being a metal drummer instead of using his degree. It was this tenacity which had, on more than one occasion, inspired Kirk to complete his engineering degree even when some of his friends back home were boasting of near six-figure salaries right out of trade school. And they both knew that if Emmett had been crawling through that channel alone, he would have continued. But he had Kirk to think of. Yeah, Emmett finally said. Let's get out of here. Kirk avoided saying anything to console Emmett. No words could erase the feeling of defeat eating at his friend. He slid his legs backwards, then pushed his torso back through the channel. He moved like a caterpillar in reverse. Emmett scooted backward in the same manner. Reversing proved far more difficult than either of them had expected. Had they realized how much more space the act of slinking backward required, neither of them would have pressed on as far as they had. Does it feel skinnier to you this time? Kirk asked, half-joking. Emmett only grunted in response. Kirk was used to Emmett cracking jokes in bad situations. Emmett typically had a humorous outlook on everything. Hey man, you doing okay? Kirk asked the soles of Emmett's boots. Emmett growled. Just keep going. Yeah, okay. Kirk slid backward. The channel was so narrow here that he couldn't move one leg at a time. He had to hold them tightly against each other and push them back in a single movement. He caterpillared his torso back, then tried to slide his legs again, but one refused to move, trapping the other. Emmett's boot kicked into Kirk's face. "'Hey, hold up,' Kirk shouted through the dirty rubber smushed into his cheek. "'Are you stuck?' Emmett asked. "'No, I just gotta—' Kirk shifted himself slightly and tried again, but his leg wouldn't budge. "'I think my—' He pulled his knees up maybe half an inch, it was all he could manage, and pushed again, but was impeded once more. "'Uh, I think my lace is caught.' "'Are you serious?' Emmett asked. "'Does it sound like I'm joking?' Kirk spat. His voice bordered on hysteria. So much anxiety tore through the small space between the two men that Emmett felt it invade him in an intoxicating rush. "'Okay, what if I give you some room to move forward?' Emmett asked. "'Try it,' demanded Kirk. Emmett scuffed both elbows as he awkwardly slid them along through the rough limestone. It had been wet the first time they had come through, but after both he and Kirk had slid through it twice, the rock was dry as bone and as gritty as sandpaper." Emmett didn't even sense the pain as his elbows were ground down, leaving thin trails of blood eagerly lapped up by the spongy stone. The channel felt tighter than ever. In Emmett's mind, the stone was closing in around them, swallowing them. In reality, his mushrooming panic was causing him to use space less efficiently. It's too tight, that's all I got, he informed Kirk. He listened to Kirk's boots scuffle against the stone as his friend tried kicking the trapped boot off. "'Oh, man, it's really stuck,' Kirk said. "'So reach back there and fix it,' Emmett shouted. "'How am I supposed to do that?' Kirk snapped. He tried again to free himself while he took a long, comforting sip from his camelback. At least he still had water. In between sips, he heard a faint noise behind him. A scratching sound, more harsh than the sound of his rubber soles on the limestone. "'What is that?' Kirk asked. "'What is what?' Emmett sounded dangerously impatient. There was a sound behind me. How the hell would I know what it is? What could it be, though? Kirk asked. He was really trying not to think about the small rat Emmett claimed to have seen in the cavern. Might it have followed them into this tunnel? Are you seriously stuck? Emmett asked as if the previous few seconds hadn't happened. Yes, I told you, man. Kirk yelled ahead. Something nibbled at his boot. He couldn't feel it, but he heard it. It sounded curious, like a toddler nibbling at a strange new cracker. Hey, get back! Get back, you little- Kirk stomped at the nibbled foot. The rat squeaked before retreating, confirming Kirk's worst fear. Somehow, he would have been less afraid of a raccoon, or certainly of a squirrel. There was just something about rats that ate at him. It is the rat you saw, he told Emmett. It's somewhere behind me now. Emmett didn't care. His only aim was to get out of this cave alive. His friend blocked the way back and apparently couldn't do anything to help himself. In his paralyzed position, Emmett couldn't do anything to help Kirk either. His only option was to forge ahead. He wasn't hopeful about what he might find there, but moving sounded a lot better than laying still and waiting for Kirk to maybe free himself. "'I'm going to push forward again,' he told Kirk. Kirk, once more, felt ignored. "'What?' No, man, don't leave me here. I don't want to be alone with this thing. Listen, Emmett said. If I can find somewhere up ahead to turn myself around, I can come back through head 1st I'll help get you free so we can both get out of here. What about the rat? It's not like I can do anything about it now, is there? That's not Kirk, Emmett commanded. That's enough. I'll be right back. Leaving Kirk whimpering to himself, Emmett crawled forward. Having a plan leveled his emotions and allowed him to control his movements better than before. He used the available space efficiently and allowed his anxious feelings to propel him rather than hinder him. They were fuel for his exhausted mind and drained body. Soon, he found himself staring into the same telescoping section that had convinced him to retreat. It appeared to dip down further into the hill. He could only see perhaps a dozen feet of the passageway ahead. If he wasn't careful, He could get himself stuck like Kirk had. And then what? They each died alone, unable to move? Would they run out of oxygen or starve to death? Probably neither. Most likely, they would die of thirst. Emmett had but two options crawl back and be trapped with Kirk, or forge ahead and maybe find a way to free them both. He chose the latter. Halfway to the downward curve in the channel, Emmett knew he was rapidly reaching the end of his journey he could no longer use his legs or hips at all. He had to drag himself along by his elbows. If he could even make it to where the passage dipped down, he doubted he would make it much further unless the channel expanded. But still, he dragged himself forward. Finally, the channel grew so narrow, Emmett could no longer move. Before he resigned completely, he pointed his phone ahead to survey the upcoming terrain. He saw, with some surprise, what he had thought was a downward curve in the channel was actually a mouth, or perhaps the other end since the place they had entered would likely be considered the mouth. The craggy anus let out into another wide cavern. This was exactly what Emmett had hoped for. Getting to the cavern would involve hundreds of minuscule movements and probably a kind of physical agony he had never experienced as the flesh of his arms was rubbed away on the rocks. But he had to try. Kirk allowed himself to believe Emmett would return and save him. Time passed slowly in the cave, however. Kirk thought Emmett had been absent for 20 minutes when he had only been gone for six. At this six-minute mark, Kirk began to lose his cool again. He started telling himself Emmett would never come back. He pictured his friend in the same predicament as himself, just further ahead where the tunnel was even skinnier. At least Emmett wouldn't have to worry about a rat creeping around his feet, The rat returned after Emmett had been gone for eight minutes. Kirk held his breath when he heard it scurry up to him. He lay still, hoping it would leave him alone. It didn't work. He soon felt the creature tugging at his laces. He could hear the threads tearing each time his foot jerked. If only the rat had focused on the other foot, the laces that were caught. The creepy animal had the power to free him, and that only made Kirk angry on top of being disgusted and terrified. He tried nudging the rat toward the trapped foot, but it kept returning to the free one. Soon, Kirk gave up. He thought maybe if the rat enjoyed the lace from one boot, it would eat up the other one once it was finished. Wishful thinking. Instead, when the rat was done playing with the boot lace, it explored Kirk's leg. He could feel it studying him, its paws occasionally scratched at his pants. Then... One sharp little rat paw slipped beneath Kirk's jeans and found his tacky, sweaty skin. The rat chirped, and another rat responded. "'Get out of here!' Kirk shouted as he kicked. The rat squeaked in pain but scurried right back to his leg. A second set of paws ran up the length of Kirk's calf, then back down. The two rats chirped back and forth to each other like mating birds. One of them slipped its warm snout into Kirk's pant leg. "'No!' Kirk screamed. The rat wriggled in further. No! Its nose rubbed his skin. Get out! It sunk its teeth into the flesh of his calf. Whatever Kirk screamed next was entirely unintelligible. The other rat ran up his shaking leg to escape the violent defense. It found itself trapped where Kirk's camelback was pressed flush against the stone ceiling. But if you know anything about rats, you know they're creative creatures. They're survivors. In the 16th and 17th centuries, some people placed rats inside a bottomless metal cage upon the stomach of a person who was suspected of this crime or that. The interrogator would put hot coals atop the cage one at a time until the heat became unbearable to the rat. It would burrow down, forging an escape through the flesh and organs of the accused. The rats required no training to perform this torturous act. To burrow was in their nature. To dig, to claw, to bite is at the very core of what it means to be a rat. The stone tore Emmett's shirt in the shoulder and stomach regions. His back felt wet with more than sweat, so he assumed his camelback had been torn open as well. He now had his head and arms through the opening like Winnie the Pooh trying to get home after eating too much honey. His lower two-thirds were still wedged tight inside the tunnel. Oh, bother. With a tremendous heave which strained one of his throbbing elbows, he managed to pop his camelback out of the hole. The rest of him followed easily once that was out of the way. He fell three feet to the slick floor, landing ungracefully on the side of his face. He allowed himself a minute to move about freely. His chest heaved as he took in air he hadn't had enough room for back in the channel. He let his arms swing limp at his sides, resting his sore shoulders and lats. Regrettably, their job was far from over. Once he felt like he could raise his arms without agonizing his muscles, he removed his torn camelback and tossed it away, empty and useless. He was glad to be rid of it, and for the immeasurable value its absence would afford him. Emmett was still not ready to return to the channel, but he heard Kirk's echoing voice. He had heard his friend yelling at the rat before, but now he sounded lonesome and nervous. Emmett wondered if maybe Kirk's phone had died or maybe he just couldn't handle a few minutes on his own. He supposed he himself was only handling the separation so well because he could move freely. It was Kirk's second cry, a stomach-churning, gurgling sort of sound, which sent Emmett back into action. He had never heard such a sound come from a person before. It was no agitated wail, but a primal bellow of agony. Like a rat, Emmett scurried back into the tunnel, headfirst. Without his camelback, Emmett could move much freer and more quickly. His progress did not come without pain, excruciating at times, but it was progress nonetheless. As he neared Kirk, Kirk's horrible screaming grew louder and more frequent. Emmett directed all of his energy into his limbs as he crawled and kicked his way forward, occasionally breathing deeply enough to call out, I'm coming! Kirk's gargling screams were intermixed with brief words like, no, stop, and, most desperate of all, please. But mostly his noises were unintelligible. Soon, Emmett reached the section where the tunnel widened slightly, so he knew he was getting close. Kirk coughed, a wet sound, and a grotesque spatter echoed to Emmett. He tried not to think about crawling through his friend's vomit and pressed on. No more words formed in Kirk's screams. The screams themselves were beginning to wane, as if Kirk were falling asleep. Emmett could not have him passing out. If Kirk blacked out, if Emmett could not wake him back up, their phones would die, and they would run out of light before they could escape. His own phone had less than 20% of its battery left. He shouted, Stay awake! Stay with me! He expected the garbled gibberish screams to morph back into human noises, words, but Kirk still sounded utterly void of humanity. He coughed again, which was followed by another splatter of fluid on cold stone. Hang on, Emmett shouted. He was close now. He could smell Kirk's sweat. He could smell the vomit. He could smell something metallic, too. Blood. He told himself he was imagining this, or maybe smelling his own blood. He could not imagine Kirk had bled enough to create an odor more powerful than puke. Emmett tossed his phone a few feet ahead to free both of his hands for a final hoist. It landed with the flashlight pointed down, and for a moment, the tunnel was pitch black. Kirk's final scream faded, and the darkness became silence as well. Kirk! Emmett yelled, dragging his aching body forward. He felt around until he found his phone and lifted it. The light reflected off of Kirk's open eyes and pale face. His head, had dropped sideways into the puddle of blood and vomit which covered the stone in front of him. Spattered blood flecked the corners of his mouth. One of his bulging eyes was red. Emmett wriggled his way closer. Kirk's jaw moved weakly, as if he were trying to whisper something. Kirk, buddy, I'm here. I'll get you out so we can go, Emmett said. He looked into his friend's eyes, one vacant, the other bloodshot. He assumed all the screaming had broken the eye's blood vessels. Kirk's jaw moved again. Come on, just tell me what it is. I'm here, Emmett said. Kirk's lips parted slightly. Emmett slid closer and turned his ear towards Kirk's parted lips. A small squeak escaped his mouth. That's alright, Emmett assured him. I'll just see if I can reach around you and... Kirk's mouth split open and his bloated black tongue lolled out. Emmett shouted in surprise and disgust and pushed himself back. The tongue dripped blood into the ever growing puddle as it wagged back and forth. Emmett shone his light directly on the blackened organ and saw it wasn't a tongue at all, but the head of an enormous rat crawling out of Kirk's mouth. The creature's fur was saturated with dark blood. It barely fit between Kirk's reddened teeth. While its tail slid out of Kirk's throat like a noodle being swallowed backwards, a second rodent appeared in Kirk's mouth. This one carried his real tongue between its own teeth as it passed through Kirk's. As he screamed, Emmett watched yet a third rat emerge from the tunnel they had created through his friend, his roommate of four years. They emerged ready to scurry through the tunnel, only to find it blocked by yet another fleshy obstacle. They stood, three in a row, on their hind legs, staring at Emmett. And he stared back, A fourth rat dug its way out of Kirk, then a fifth. Emmett started backing up, but the rats kept coming. They had heard that a catered meat buffet had come to their home, and they were ready to feast. Soon, the rats had filled the space between him and Kirk. They were crawling over his head, smearing his face with Kirk's blood. One of them poked its nose into his mouth, and he chomped at it in defense. It squeaked and retreated, only to be replaced by another. A third rat bit at his nostril while a fourth chomped off his earlobe. Emmett retreated, ignoring every painful ache and throb in his abused body as he desperately reversed away from the horde of rodents. But unlike the exhausted man, the rats were fresh and invigorated. Even as he pushed some away from his ears, others were gnawing at his nose. He kept his mouth closed tight, but they started biting and clawing at his soft cheeks. One lunged for his right eye. He managed to close it just in time, but his thin eyelid did little to slow the creature. They grew so thick around his face that he couldn't breathe. No matter how quickly he moved backward, they filled in and smothered him. Soon, he had backed up to where the channel grew narrow again, which fatally slowed his progress. By the time they gnawed their way to his second eyeball, Emmett could also feel them entering his mouth through his cheeks behind his molars. When they started chewing at his gums. Consciousness mercifully abandoned him. So there you have it. Didn't I warn you? Don't say I didn't. I don't want to hear any complaints. I told you at the beginning and warned you again in the middle. I gave you every signal, every sign possible. For the few of you that made it this far, I hope you've received this warning well. The wilderness isn't a playground. It's a harsh, desolate place. Beautiful, but merciless. It can be enjoyed, but it has to be respected. If you don't take it seriously, if you don't respect it, it might just eat you alive. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.